0: Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall's first series is in the rearview mirror.
1: Rachel Donner and Riley Silverman return to help us evaluate it.
0: What was brilliant? What was tragic? What was groundbreaking? And what was played too safe?
1: Let's dig in. Welcome to This Week in Time Travel. Rachel and Riley, thank you so much for joining us for our Series 11 look back. It's so great to have you both back on again.
2: Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here.
0: I can't believe that we're actually looking back at Series 11. I can't, uh, you know, wasn't it just yesterday that it was on the way and it was being heavily promoted and everybody was like, what's this Where going to be did the like? the time go. Yeah. It
3: feels like it was just yesterday when I was reading tweets going, when is it going to air? <laughs> like,
1: I feel like it was just yesterday when we were desperately scrounging up podcast content because they were giving
3: us absolutely nothing before the series aired. Yeah. And oh, God, we're going back into that soon again. I was going to say, yeah, have a great 2019. Ah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Uh. At least you have this New Year's special and galley to get you through the first quarter.
1: There we go. So let's get started and start taking a look back at what we liked, what we didn't like, what we thought maybe could have been done a little bit better back in Series 11. And let's start off on a high note. And broadly, let's talk about what worked for us in Series 11. Riley, why don't you lead us off?
3: Sure. What worked the most for me, I I think, is just the cast. I think the cast was extremely charming. Like everybody was just the main, like all four of our friends and and the doctor included in that group were just Bring in their A-game, and they were just so much fun to watch, and they just had such great chemistry with each other that I think that even when there was times where I was less happy with some of the show, I was so into what this group was doing that, like, I was willing to look past a lot of it. And I think that, like, that's a really—like, they they did some really smart choices with their casting for this show because—and even when they had guest stars, I thought the guest stars overall were really, really— like charming. Like I thought that like Lee Mack did so much with like maybe like what four or five minutes of screen time in Kablam and obviously Alan Cumming just like Alan Cumming all over the screen. Like he just, he just <laughs> had that charm. Um and it, it it was just so that that aspect of the season I think was probably like what I found to be the strongest thing and the thing that like kept me positive about it across the board.
2: Rachel, how about you? Yeah, I would echo what Riley said about the cast. They were just magnetic and uh, I appreciated them a lot. I would also say that we got what we were promised. We got 10 virtually standalone episodes that each had really strong world building and uh, engaging stories that didn't necessarily tie together in this grand plot scheme. And, you know, that's what Chibnall said he was doing, and that's what he did. And and I think it was pretty successful on that front. Chip, how about you?
0: Well, I'm not going to do the broken record thing and talk about the cast, even though I want to talk about the cast. Maybe we can talk about the cast later. Uh, So I'm going to pivot to atmosphere and music. The show looked dramatically different from the previous 10 years. Some of it had to do with the lenses that they were using. Some of it had to do with the color palette. And the the show sounded so different. Uh, I adore Sagan Akinola's soundtrack, the more ambient uh, tone of it. The show felt renewed and regenerated. And while not all of the changes were improvements... Enough of them were, and just the very fact that it was such a different show, it really made me pay a lot more attention and made me take the show less for granted, I thought.
1: Definitely. I think this was definitely a series of not taking the show for granted. I think what worked for me was that they were really pushing the boat out with a lot of stories, and some of them worked and some of them didn't, but there was always a willingness to try to do that. The other thing I want to call out explicitly, which is probably not going to surprise anybody who knows me, but I really think that they did a great job with the first woman doctor. I think that's really what worked about this season, that they had really thought through all the various ways to... Present a woman taking this role for the first time that the doctor got to really comment on this change and both talk about maybe how she appreciated having this kind of new perspective on the world and to be able to have these new experiences, but also talk about some of the downsides of being a woman. You know, Witch Finders, she has that very explicit moment of saying, like, if I was a bloke, I could just get the job done right now. But now I have to deal with a time period in which sexism and misogyny puts me at a disadvantage. And there was even that moment in Rosa, where being a white woman is actually something that puts her really in a difficult point, because by unintentionally being present around this time period in this era, she is even unconsciously a part of the racist system that she abhors that she doesn't want to be a part of. There's that moment where she sits down on the bus next to Rosa, and she has to say, if you continue sitting there, I need to get up and leave because a white woman has now claimed this seat. And so there was really sort of an exploration of race and of gender. And even in Demons of the Punjab, the presumed Britishness of the Doctor. Um, And I think that they thought that through, and they really did a good job of exploring the Doctor's identity this time around. Does anyone else have anything to add to what they liked and what they thought worked this season?
3: I just want to echo that episode of The Witchfinders. I think that was, for me, the episode that most clearly defined why it's important to have different voices in the role of the Doctor. Because yeah that that's an episode that I don't think would have happened the way that it did with any other doctor we've ever previously had, and there are some episodes of the season that I think would have played out almost the exact same way, but that was one that didn't and I think that like when I, I remember when they first announced her, it turns out the internet wasn't always cool about it, and there was like <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard of comment sections, but they were not good, and there was oh. one the refrain of, like, what's the... There's no reason to do it except for trying to please SJWs or whatever. And I remember even at the time going, but there's different stories to tell. Like, like that's the reason to do it. Like, I don't... I, that that's the reason. The reason to do it is there are more stories to tell if you take it from a different angle. And I think that that episode in particular really showed you, like, no, this is a way the story can be different. Because, like, there were a lot of arguments made when they first announced her and were talking about it. And even, like, before she was cast, when a lot of us were, like, fans of the idea of it, there was a lot of talk about, like, well, if you have a female Doctor, she can be more empathetic. And that never rang true to me because the Doctor has always been very empathetic. It's kind of, like, part of the – especially in the modern era. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, the idea that, like, empathy is, by default, like, a female virtue, I don't—I think is a little bit gender-normative and a little bit, like, finerist and stuff like that, Um, but I think that that's, like, not how I viewed it, but I think that— Having a character who like, people, when people were saying things like, "Oh, you, you have this female character, and you have her going back in time," it's going to be hard for her to deal with things. And I was like, "Yes, that is called conflict, and that is how we write stories." <laughs> <laughs> like, like, the thing you are saying is what will be called plot for an episode. Right? <laughs> like it was. And it was so weird because it was like I would see these two conflicting points of view of like, well, I don't know. This can make this this great woman who can just solve everything really easily because they don't want to have her deal with conflict. And then in the same breath go. And if she's back in time, she'll deal with conflict. I'm like, you're literally explaining why your own argument doesn't work. How do you not see this?
0: <laughs> you know, I'd like to jump off of what both of you said, uh, Riley and Alyssa, that I adored the approach to historicals this season. It was it felt very different from previous seasons Possibly a callback to some of the early Hartnell stuff. But there is a review of Series 11 that's gone kind of viral, at least among uh, some of our friends who were more critical of the season, uh, by a guy named Darren at themovieblog.com. It's a pretty harsh and cutting review of the season that I don't agree with. But one of the things that came up with that was criticism of the historicals for the Doctor not being more involved the choice of having the doctor being complicit in Rosa's situation or in demons of the Punjab situation as being an awful message for the show to send out and i disagree i thought that making the doctors relative privilege and sort of problematizing it and putting it on the screen right there and not creating a tidy happy place for the doctor in rosa and things like that. I thought that that was breathtakingly fresh of the show. You know, the show doesn't get the politics right all the time, Kerblam. Mm. But I think that the the show was on balance thoughtful about this stuff.
2: I'm going to actually say that Kerblam proves your point, Chip. And I agree with that point because that was kind of the other major good thing I found in this series is that it felt more realistic and grounded in its fantasticalness than, I think, a season of Doctor Who has felt for me uh, before. And I, I think Kerblam is an example of that because I felt that the systems in place there, including the Doctor's complicit participation in the capitalist structures without completely calling it out. I mean, solving the immediate problem at hand, but not really truly calling out the overall capitalist system that caused the machinations of these problems in the first place felt real to me. I really think that that point is spot on about about it just having that nature to it.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I agree with Chips' earlier point about the Doctor's complicitness in history, and I, I think that I think it would have been horrifically offensive if they had written an episode where the Doctor saved the world from racism during Rosa Parks' era. Like, I think that, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I think that having an episode where a white woman from the future or from the distant past, however you want to view it, uh, if you have if you had this white character from space. Come in and save Rosa Parks from racism. I, I think that people would have very rightfully uh, had a lot of uh, like reasons to really come down on this show. And I think that I think that I I don't know the the ethnicity of the person who wrote the article that you shared, but uh, I do think that that criticizing a, an episode written by a woman of color for how she depicted that that's that's does not sit well with me at all.
1: I agree. But there's also one criticism that I've seen, and it's a very mild kind of criticism, is because there were so many stories in which the doctor couldn't intervene, that for those of us who wanted to have someone who's a little bit more intervening in this kind of political moment that we're in, I think mostly that there was kind of maybe like in in each individual context, it's understandable. And, um, that, you know, obviously there's still debate about that, but like, I think, you know, in each individual episode, it was understandable, but I think, in this moment where maybe we wanted a little bit more of a hero to be able to come out and fight maybe not solve all the problems with us but be able to to call them out and and fight them a little bit more is i i think kind of an understandable impulse because i wouldn't change anything about rosa or demons of the punjab like those you know were very good episodes and i think especially when you have kind of the history of doctor who where The Doctor is such an interventionist, and sometimes that's written in ways that the Doctor can just solve all problems, and that's not really great to always see. That maybe, like, one or two episodes about... You know, more of when to intervene, when is a time to stand up and say, like, this is wrong, and we can and should do something about it. Like, don't have the white lady always intervening and saving and solving all of the historical problems in the world. Um, And, you know, maybe that's maybe a little bit of wish fulfillment on my part of wanting a hero that can and does do that. And maybe, you know, and we can get this into a little more later. And that's maybe my hope for series 12 is one or two good episodes where you know intervention is a good and okay thing to do in some circumstances and maybe the moral thing to do but i think it speaks to the kind of very complicated reception to jody whitaker's very first season that she can't really be all things to all people all the time you know that yeah yeah we're still very, very early. There's still so many more stories that we could do with her that could sort of expand the perspective and, and the role of her type of hero.
3: I agree with you on that, because I feel like, like we talked about earlier about how this was a season of mostly standalone episodes and no like particular through line. Uh, I found one that was more of a thematic through line when I was writing about my season in review for Nerdist. But I do think that when you have a season full of standalone episodes when you do start to feel like every episode is like you said coming to this point of the doctor not really being able to be the doctor a lot of times and kind of having to like step back and let things happen there's a certain point where you're like well this is like the the nature of this character is that the doctor left gallifrey because they weren't content with being an observer of things and not intervening when things were possible like that was a that's been an established part of this character from essentially like a little bit the first doctor but mostly trout onward that's been an aspect of this character so to make that a really downplayed angle for an entire season, it, it can be a little bit rough. And I think that, especially when we're talking about episodes that are... like When there are seasons, like you said, mentioning with like Rosa or Demons, where like, there's episodes where you're like, well, okay, it made sense in the context of this episode why that happened. And I think when there's a seasonal arc, you can also kind of go, well, okay, it makes sense in the context of this whole season's arc why there were so many of these episodes. But when you have episodes that are so standalone... It does make you go, okay, well, because this season had Demons and it had Rosa, maybe we could have not done Arachnids this season. Or maybe we could have not done like what's another great example of like one where the doctors intervene. Like, I mean, Kerblam, I think, just needed a couple of extra lines of dialogue to fix it. But yeah, I think that like having a season where it was like Hey, is anyone actually a villain this year? Like are we is the doctor like needed at all? Has the universe solved its own problems without the doctor being around anymore?
2: I and I think there's a couple of things there, Riley, in that number one, I think humans were the villain a lot, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where it connects to this whole point. That I made earlier of it feeling more realistic and grounded and relatable to me is that the doctor can't solve everything, just like in today's world and politics and, you know, cultural shifts. We can't solve everything. And it feels like a lot. It feels like a lot on our shoulders. And it, and you see that in the doctor that there's these huge things on her shoulders, but she's swimming upstream. She's solving the problem in front of her and it feels good and small winds feel good. Just like in the real world, at least for me, like the small winds are feeling good. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's where I, I just was able to relate to this season so well because I felt like the doctor And the companions were sort of paralleling my experience in the real world right now.
0: Mm. Towards the end of the season, things loosen up a little bit. The doctor attempts to rescue the person who's being tried as a witch. And the doctor gives Ryan the all clear. Now that you've been around the block and learned a little bit, I will let you shoot sniper bots now. I think the ethos of the show and the ability of the doctor and her friends to intervene sort of shifts towards the end of the series but it is a different place and it is like you said Rachel it is it does kind of mirror the world that we're in right now
3: I guess I don't watch Doctor Who to mirror the world that I live in I watch Doctor Who to imagine a world that's better than the world I live in because like I'm I I, it's it's the same thing as like Star Trek where I I view shows like this as aspirational and not reflective Because I'm having a lot of trouble. A lot of shows that I escape into for entertainment seem to be going this route lately of, like, trying to do a a parable of what's happening in the world today. And I'm miserable with what's happening in the world today. And I go to these shows to feel an ounce of joy about that world. And they're taking it away from me now. And that's rough for me. Like, I'm having a hard time watching Supergirl this season for the same reason.
1: I think that's very fair. I think for me, I kind of end up a little bit middle ground in that because I view the show both as something to reflect my life and to be aspirational because the companions are always drawn from contemporary times. I like when there is some reflection of like, the problems that we are currently experiencing in the companion's sort of backstory and life story. So I don't mind when we get a little reflectional with it. But you're right, I do want it to be also aspirational, because they're taking these companions to new and incredible places and trying to show a different, better vision of what their world and their life could be like. And I think one of the things that strikes me about this season in particular was because there was a few very large and meaningful moments for inclusion and representation behind the scenes, I think that brought in a lot more personal experiences that people wanted to see reflected on screen. So you have the first episode ever to be written and directed by Black individuals that is both a commentary on a historical event, but also allows for the uh, people of color companions to be able to reflect on their own experiences in contemporary times. You have one of the first POC writers writing about a personal and historical traumatic experience um, with Demons of the Punjab to be able to kind of reflect that history and that kind of story that we don't see often. And in Finders, you have depending on how you count it, the second or third episode ever to be written and directed by women. That is both a commentary on like historical witch hunts, but also like, you know, modern sexism because this stuff didn't end in the witch trials. This is, you know, experiences that we can still face nowadays. And I think it's good to have that representation and it's needed to have that perspective because people want to see their own stories kind of reflected in pop culture But I think it's more of a commentary on we have failed so much on this in the past that this is really kind of the groundbreaking moment for the show to bring in so many more perspectives that have historically been excluded from the show. And so these are the kind of stories that we are going to see in this season. And maybe as we get more into the future, as we are including more POC writers and directors, as we are including more women writers and directors They'll have more opportunities to share stories that are not specifically related to linking back to their own experiences here, that they'll be able to have more opportunities to include more different types of stories because we all have those types of stories. But I think it's a, you know, it's a very natural impulse to go immediately into that.
3: Sure, and I agree with you 100% on all his episodes that you named, and and it's not a surprise that those are three of what I consider some of the strongest episodes of the season, Mm -hmm. and so my thing is more that like it's great i I am so full representation it's like my number one thing so my my that's why my criticisms are more focused on the episodes around those like as i mentioned i named a few earlier like arachnids and and kablam i I actually really like kablam i think i was a bigger fan of kablam than most people that i've talked to about it um yeah it's one of my favorite of this season yeah i i honestly the i i my thing was more like Yes, absolutely do the things you're doing with representation and things like that. And that's why the things around it, I think, need to pick up the slack for like that's why like I think that Arachnids was such a mess of an episode. And it was it had some great moments. Every episode had fantastic moments. But also some episodes just felt like, boy, another draft of the script would have really solved. It. And I know they're under pressure to get things out quickly, but like is is one that especially felt like it had a huge gap in it. And, you know, we're talking a lot about representation. And unfortunately, this is a season that began with the fridging of woman of color, which mm-hmm. she remained important throughout the season. But it still was like, look how much character development this white man is having because of this woman of color who died. Like that was a thing that it was a bad taste in my mouth throughout the season. And I know that this is a hotly debated issue, but I... feel like Yaz was completely underserved by almost every script of this entire season. And I, I think even the episodes that involved her family directly still made her a spectator to the events of the episodes. And that really frustrated me because... And also... Mandeep Gill is really charming and really fun, and every time I see an interview with her or a behind-the-scenes video with her interacting with Jody, they have such great chemistry. And she is just a joy of a person, and I wish they would give Yaz a little— I I know that, like, characters don't need to be the same personality as their actors on screen, I understand that, but— Why would you not give Yaz a little bit more opportunity to have fun when you have someone who, when she, like, laughs and smiles, is, like, so much fun to watch and such a joy? Like, I just, I, Yaz very much felt like Nardle to me this season without jokes. Like oh, Nardal no. in, in series 10, like his main role was to be like a living sonic screwdriver. Like he was there to do tasks for the doctor. And then they gave him a bunch of punchlines to kind of cover that up a little bit. And that's what I felt like Yaz was. Yaz was literally like old school Doctor Who companion being the assistant kind of vibe to her. And it bummed me out. I wanted more, I wanted Yaz to have, and I'm hoping that that's like a thing that moving forward, we get to see a little bit more of Yaz kind of coming into her own and like having. Actual characterizations as opposed to skating by on being played by a very skilled actress.
1: I mean, basically, yes to all of that. I talked about this a little bit in the last episode so listeners bear with me as I continue to repeat this point for the hundredth time but like the most disappointing thing about this season personally is that the character development of the Doctor Yaz and to a certain extent Ryan was uh, left by the wayside to focus on the uh, emotional arc of the sole white male companion of the group and his emotional arc was predicated as you said Riley on the fridging of a black woman in the first episode that to me is kind of the biggest you know this sounds a little harsh but betrayal of this season you know when they are hyping up representation so much about the actors about having the first woman doctor about bringing in so many more new people to write and direct for this show that they still focus the entire season around the emotional development of one white dude you know like that's that that for me was is really really rough
3: yeah, and they even brought in, like, with, with Ryan, there was this very strong element with him in the first two episodes of having dyspraxia. And then I felt like, I don't, I think it got mentioned once in uh, the Kerblam episode when he was talking about his difficulties at his factory, when, uh, his warehouse job. But it felt like he just stopped having dyspraxia at some point during the season. Like, I, like they just, like, never... Not that every episode needs to be him overcoming this disability, but, like, if you're gonna... Like, we literally had a character, an episode where Ryan is failing to appreciate, to respect a woman who has a disability. Like, it was very strange.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the representation in front of the camera was very surface level. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really dig deep. Obviously, you know, in Rosa, the racial issues were dealt with. But I just felt like from a series that was promised to be the most diverse and inclusive, I think they did a lot more of the work behind the scenes than they did in front of the camera. And like having two dead lesbian wives over the course of the season did not sit well with me. Mm-mm. Off yeah. camera, dead lesbian wives. And I think Yaz is great. Um, she's South Asian. I think there was like very little East Asian representation, mm-hmm. uh, during the series. And I, I just felt like, there was just a little bit of lip service to that as far as casting and and true, like in-depth and um, thoughtful representation in terms of the the characters we were presented.
1: On the lip service point, you're exactly right, because Chibnall promised that we were going to have LGBTQ representation in the main cast, and like what that amounted to was a question from Yaz's mom about whether the doctor was her girlfriend. Like, make the doctor actually her girlfriend, you
2: cowards, if you're going to talk about this. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think that there has been a lot of criticism about... Graham getting the primary character arc of the season and and I do get it and I think it's it's fully warranted but I also do think there's a lot more to Yaz and the doctor's character development than maybe people are acknowledging and especially with Yaz like I, when I was here the last time around just talking about Yaz um looking up to the doctor and having a mentor mentee kind of dynamic between the two of them, I think absolutely built over the course of the season. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I actually thought didn't work about the season helps explains that I, that character development over the course of the season is that I felt like the blank spaces in between episodes were very noticeable. That in the past, when there were off-screen adventures between episodes, you felt the growth that came from them, even if you didn't see them happen. Whereas these, I felt like they were just casually mentioned, but there wasn't any impact from them. And I think that was to Yaz's disadvantage from an audience perspective. But to what Alyssa was talking about earlier, I think the Doctor absolutely did get a strong character arc over the course of the season with learning how to live in a woman's body mm-hmm. and, and what that meant. And, and I, so I do think there was a lot of growth and, and uh, acknowledgement of that over the course of the season from the Doctor.
3: Yeah, this is just an opinion. I'm not saying that you're wrong about this. It's just how I interpreted this. But I, I think a lot of what you're saying about Yaz and the doctor's characterization, to me, reads more as just the chemistry and the actors versus the writing supporting it. Like, I think that, and I, again, that's not saying one of us is right or wrong. That's just how I, for me, I, I sure. felt like, I felt like, yeah, like Mandeep and Jody have such a good chemistry together that it, I felt like that made that character that, that relationship stronger than the writing was giving it.
0: If I could segue from that just a little bit, I think that that is a f- reflection of sort of the distance between the writing and the acting throughout this entire season. I think that the stories this season and the character arcs to a certain extent were all simpler than we have seen in previous seasons of modern Doctor Who. And I think that that was a good idea. I think it helped boost the ratings. I think that this is television that's being made for a broader audience than some of the intricacies and puzzle boxes and in references that characterized a lot of uh, Stephen Moffat's time. But every once in a while, Simple devolved a bit towards simplistic. And I think that that's one thing that I would like to see in um, the next the next series is that th- now that we've established this new cast and this new style of storytelling for Doctor Who, now let's work it harder. Now let's try let's not try so hard to be accessible and let's try to really dig into the issues that the stories raise into the characters motivations and personalities and arcs and just really more meat on the bones i'd say i think dialogue
3: especially is something that really could use some improvement in season 12
1: Yeah, I think that there were some very, very good scripts, but there were definitely a number of scripts in which I said this needed, you know, one or two more go arounds before it was ready to shoot with, you know, I think accessibility is definitely an important thing. I think cutting back on some of the required knowledge maybe that you were required to go into in some of um, the previous stories was good because, you know, it's, it's kind of what RTD did when he's rebooting the show of, you know, the show has a very complicated history, and you can make very subtle, sly references to it if you want to. But it's very difficult to get new audience members into a show if you're leaning on the fact that it's enjoyable primarily for an audience that has that sort of encyclopedic knowledge of the longer history of the show. But I don't think we need to sacrifice sort of quality to make it accessible. And I think there was definitely a couple of episodes in which there were maybe you know, it, it's in cases slightly simpler, but it didn't need to be too simple to be enjoyable, you know, that you, you can... Amp it up a little bit that you can go for something a little bit more complicated because you know, a complicated story is not inherently inaccessible um, yeah. as, as long as it's well executed and well done um, and doesn't require you to have seen a you know story from the 1980s to be able to understand the character development that's happening on screen. And there were definitely you know. A couple of stories that I uh, don't want to name and shame, but like there was definitely a couple of stories that I was like this needed like two more rounds before it was ready to go.
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that there's a difference between between simple and accessible. I think, I mean, for example, you know, we talk about Moffat a lot. And Moffat definitely has a lot of very inaccessible plots and arcs for newer viewers. But if we look at the most recent season before this one, season ten. Like, yes, there was all stuff with Missy in the vault that was like threaded throughout the season and that would have been tough for people who had not. Because I think the pilot episode is actually a great first episode for a new person to watch for doctor who because it basically like reintroduces the doctor through bill's eyes and i think that season had episodes like thin ice and it had episodes like oxygen which really worked extremely well as standalone episodes that you can just jump in and watch so i think that had we had a whole season of episodes like those and with rosa and with demons of the punjab and stuff like that i don't think that we would have some of the same conversations that we're having now about the show
1: Let's give our final verdicts here on Series 11. So if you had to give this a score out of 10, maybe, let's say, um, but you you know can use a point system or a gold star system, whatever you want, uh, what would be your sort of final verdict on Series 11? So, Rachel, we'll start with you this time.
2: I would give it an eight and a half. All right. I, yeah, I, I loved it. I think, aside from some of the major faults that we've discussed. I think that it flowed really well. The characters like we've talked about were phenomenal. And um each week I just had a wonderful magical ride. And so yeah, I would say eight and a half. Riley?
3: I'm gonna have to like I'm probably gonna say like a five and a half or a six I it's like, it's tough because there's so much toxicity against this season for things that I don't think it deserves to be criticized for, that like, as someone who wishes she liked it more I also feel like I don't want to criticize it too much because I know people really did enjoy it and I know what it's like to have an episode, a season of Doctor Who that you love uh, other people hate, like I adored the entire Peter Capaldi run and I had to, every time I talked about it, I had to have people just crap on it and, to me and so I'm trying to be like aware of that so my feeling of this season is that I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I would actually say that it's one of my least favorite seasons of Modern Who. I, I think that I would still probably put it above maybe like season seven, maybe. But like I maybe that I don't know. But yeah, I I, I kind of look at Doctor Who as like what episode what what like what am I going to like want to throw on for comfort? when I'm, like, down, or when I just, like, want to throw on Doctor Who and just watch an episode and not worry about any... And this doesn't really have any of those that jump out to me as, like, oh, yeah, I always really felt good watching that one, or I really just, like, could lose myself in it a little bit. And it, it kind of lost a bit of that magicalness to me this year. But there, I I, I think that there's still hope there, and I think that I, I'm not someone who thinks that Chibnall needs to go, like a lot of people, I think, already are saying. I do think that it was a rebuilding year, I think, to use, like, a sports term. I think that... It kind of works in a way like you know chip mentioned the um simpleness earlier that's kind of what the force awakens was as far as like star wars goes like hey we need to kind of reset a little bit and kind of tell a very basic story that people can jump into and then we'll get and like we went from force awakens to the last jedi which i think is one of the most complicated and interesting star wars movies ever made um if not the most and so i think that like if series 11 was like a palette cleanser to like reset and like get the new staff on board introduce these characters let the introduction of these characters become the spotlight so now we can start telling new stories that are more involved more intricate with these people I think that I'll probably look back on it more favorably in future years but for now I think I'll I'll say a six I'll say six out of ten and I just spoke a lot I'm sorry (laughs) that's all right Chip how about you
0: I think I'm on team Rachel Uh, eight and a half seems like a good one for me a lot of people have criticized the series for not having the heights of other series, and the criticism being that these episodes were all fine, but none of them excited me. I did have a few exciting moments throughout the season, but I was I, I, I was consistently happy with the cast, and the look, and the feel, and the sound, and... That sort of gives me a glass half full reaction to it rather than a glass half empty kind of thing. And I was watching the show with my spouse again, which hadn't happened before. Uh, My spouse checked out in the middle of series six because Moffat just wasn't doing it for her. You know, there's a halo effect when somebody who stopped caring about Doctor Who starts caring about it again and starts watching it with you. I love Jodie Whittaker and I love the feel of the TARDIS team and I enjoyed the bulk of the stories and I found it for that reason to be delightful even if there are some areas in which the show stepped backwards a bit.
1: Yeah sort of on that note I think I would give it um, a solid seven. I think that for me it was about sort of averaging out the highs and lows of the season because i think that this season did some truly exceptional things and created some of my favorite episodes of all time but that the flaws in the season that i felt were there were just so foundational in this season that it's hard to give it a higher score for me personally and i entirely agree with you riley there's so much toxicity around this and i i wanted it to succeed so much more more because this was Jodie Whittaker's first season. But I also feel like I have to kind of be honest about it because I had high expectations and I need the show to work harder next season to sort of meet those expectations.
3: I think there's no benefit as a fan of representation and people who want women in powerful roles and stuff like that. For me, there's no benefit to brushing flaws under the rug.
2: Yeah. 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 And it's really hard to be critical, and I don't mean critical negative, I mean critical in the neutral sense. Mm -hmm. Like analysis. um, Analysis of of the show without also being aware of the framing of the conversation around the show. Yeah. And that I have been very critical of the framing around the conversation of, of this show, of this season. But it, yeah, it is really hard to uh, separate those two conversations sometimes. Yeah.
3: And something that I'll admit is kind of unfair for the show in a regard with me specifically is that uh, I, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, briefly, I was hired by Nerdist this year to write reviews of this season. And so I had to write a review of every episode. And so that really dramatically altered the way that I approach the show because I have always viewed it, even as someone who has had podcasts and been on podcasts talking about it in the past, I've always come at it as a, just a pure fan. And so I think that I was able to overlook things that I found as flaws to just be a fan about it. But when I was being professionally paid to write about the show and review it for a source, I felt a little bit more pressure to be a bit more objective about it. And when I did that, I had to be a little bit more like, yeah, this, th- this didn't land for me. And I'm a little upset about it.
1: I think that's kind of our ethos here of we love a show, but we're also willing to hold it to task when we need to. So we've got big hopes for Season 12 and New Year's DA special, so we've got a lot of good content hopefully coming our way. But for now, we're going to wrap up this conversation. Riley, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Series 11. Thank you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. This
0: week on The Incomparable Network.
1: Okay, we'll spoil it for you. On The Incomparable Game Show, Chip spectacularly dunks on himself, while host Steve Lutz brings out the Hallmark Channel Christmas Pain. That's episode 101, the low-definition Christmas special.
0: On Robot or Not 146, Jason and John debate the pronunciation of gif. It's jif. No, it's gif.
1: And The Incomparable saves the whales and uses colorful metaphors, revisiting Star Trek for The Voyage Home.
0: All this and more at incomparable.com.
1: So we don't have a lot of news before we uh, head out for the year, but let's go over uh, some of the bits that we have very quickly. The first and most exciting, in my personal humble opinion, is that the Series 11 soundtrack will be coming out appropriately on January 11th. And there's a new vocal arrangement for thirteenth theme song, appropriately titled 13, which is out now and you can watch it on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I adore Sagan Akinola's music. And, you know, you can draw an analogy to how some people have reacted to Series 11 and to Akinola's music. His music is not as dramatic as Murray Gold's. There have not been those, hey, let me take the attention away from everything that's happening on the screen moments this time around. And I'm actually gravitating toward that very much. I adore his music.
1: And for those of you who are desperately hoping to rewatch the entire series, the Blu-ray is theoretically going to be out on January 14th in the U.K. and January 29th in the U.S., so maybe you can request it as a late-to-deliver Christmas present.
0: There you go. Uh, But don't expect the New Year's special to be on it. That's going to be on a separate disc the following month.
1: Because we can never have things together.
0: Nope. And we didn't have the time to mention this last week, but I think this is a determined and specific attack against me that after we watched the reconstruction of it in the last year for Who Against Guns, they're actually going to animate the Macro Terror.
1: They never have the good things ready in time for you, do they, Chip?
0: No, no, they don't. Now, what will be interesting is we don't know whether this is going to be as they've done with previous animated reconstructions. You know, they have taken basically the soundtracks and run them as is. So they've had to create animation for every moment of every episode that previously existed. They're doing this straight from scratch, basically, and they could, if they wanted to, tighten up things here and there and just, you know, pace it differently. I'd like to see them try that.
1: I expect that we'll probably get two versions um, similar to what we got with the Daleks master plan, where they have a version where they try to go as close to the original as possible for the purists who want to see it exactly as it was broadcast. And then they'll probably have a slightly edited version of it just to show, you know, this is, you know, how we might do this episode now.
0: So that is our quick run through the news. We've got holiday shopping to do and travel to do so this week in time travel is going to bow out for 2018 we will be back in time for the new year's special in 2019 so thank you so much for listening to us this year it's been a challenging year to say the least but Alyssa, we made it and we had a pretty damn good doctor to show for it at the end
1: we did we did so we will see you all in the new year with the one and only <laughs> story that we are getting in twenty nineteen before we head on to twenty twenty and series twelve.
0: You can find our episodes at thisweek We're on Twitter at who this week. Alyssa tweets and tumbles at WhovianFeminism. I tweet at numeral two minute time lord. Rachel tweets at R Miriam and Riley tweets at Riley J Silverman.
1: Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and to David J. Lohr for our original podcast logo and avatar. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network, and tell all your friends about us. Until next time.
0: We'll see you next year.